welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. There we go. As I've mentioned before, we are continuing our series um, that is entitled Saints Among Sinners. Basically, we are looking at the book of Ephesians. It's a book written by the uh, Paul, who was an apostle, and he wrote it to a local church. And uh, we're up to part eight, which means there's been seven parts before, and you can download all of them on iTunes, or you can get on our website and listen to them there. Please, please, please feel free to do so in your own time. This morning, I want to start with... um, Again, a little bit of my background, because growing up uh, as a young man, um, I kind of had a desire and had a growing passion for all things physical culture. And uh, that was mainly due to the example set and left to me by my dad. And, and uh, as a result, I've been involved in gym life for many, many years, be it home gyms or gyms when I travel abroad or different memberships I've had over the years in different gyms. And uh, it never ceased to amaze me the things you can learn in a gym. But probably the number one thing I've learned over the years in gym life is this, that attending a gym alone will not change you. Having a gym membership alone will not change your body one iota. In actual fact, church culture and gym culture have a lot of similarities. Some people think, you know, I go to church and going to church alone is going to change them and it won't change you. Going to the gym won't change you. If you've bought a gym membership and been disappointed because you didn't get the results you wanted, then maybe we need to look a little bit deeper. If you are going to church and you're not getting the results you thought you would in going to church, then maybe we need to look just a little bit deeper as to what the real issue is. The immature response is to not go to church anymore and say, I tried that, it doesn't work. The immature response is to say, I went to the gym, it just doesn't work. But going to the gym and going to the gym are two different things. Because my question for all those who go to the gym and don't get the results that they were hoping for, my first question would be, um, how often do you go to the gym? I mean, because you know, going to the gym once a year is, is true. I go to the gym. But going to the gym once a year is probably not going to change too much. You know what, going to the gym once a month probably won't change too much either. And even going to the gym once a week probably won't change you too much either. So we can't blame the gym that the gym didn't work for you if you're not going to gym regularly enough. Another good question I might ask you is, when you're at the gym, what do you do? Because I know a lot of people that go to the gym and they do more talking than exercise. <laughs> and so they walk up to a machine and, 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 and someone says, do you mind if I work in with you? And oh, yeah, sure. And then they just, yeah, why not? Just, and we just, they just end up talking. And so it's not just about how often you go, it's about what you do. 
And it's not just what you do, it's the intensity with which you do it. You can put it on the lightest weight and just, you know, and just, just it's not going to do much. And then you get the ones who are all talk and just boasting about the weights that they can push. And, you know, I can bench press 500 pounds. Well, that's nothing. I can bench press 550 pounds. And someone says, I can bench press 600 pounds. And they just talk. I'm the kind of guy that's going to say, how about we stop talking? You get on the bench and see what you can do. Show me what you can do. Show me what you can do. Because in the gym, and it's a lot like church, there's a lot of talking, but not much walking. And the main theme that I want to talk about today is walking the walk. Because Paul, in his address to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21, it's all about your walk. Paul's not interested in your talk. He wants to know what you're doing. Basically, he's saying, you know what? Show me that you're Christians. Show me that Christ has impacted your life. Show me that you're grateful. Show me that you love Him and you love people. Show me that this is a deep reality and not just a cliche on the wall. I want to see your faith in operation, which is no different than when you're at the gym. I want to see what you can do. Because without action, we can say anything. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's laid an incredible foundation of our position in Christ, who we are. You can't earn salvation. It's a gift from God. He will turn every one of our messes into a message and he will turn every one of our mistakes into something good because of what he has done. But now he's addressing our doing. The first part of Ephesians, he's addressing our being. Now he's addressing our doing. And so I want to pick up the uh, letter in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writing to a local church in Ephesus, he says, Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should be there, there should be any obscenity, false talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, 
but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul highlights four areas that we need to walk in. We need to walk in love, we need to walk in light, we need to walk in wisdom, and we need to walk in the Spirit. And I want to highlight those four things this morning. The first one is simply this. We need to walk in love. Paul is saying as Christians, as born-again believers, we need to walk in love. I never forget many years ago seeing an interview of a man by the name of Frank Zane. That won't mean much to many of you, but Frank Zane was a bodybuilder back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I saw this interview many years later. And uh, all the questions were in and around bodybuilding, but there's this one question about his marriage. He'd been married quite a number of years, and the interview, uh, interviewer said to him, how is it that you've been able to stay married so long, particularly in this industry? And it was his answer that just floored me slash blessed me. He said, because I love her. The interviewer said, how do you stay married so long? And his answer was, because I love her. It's an amazing thought that because he loved his wife, he was able to stay with his wife. And it's on this foundation of love that Paul establishes everything. In John 3 verse 16, it says, God so loved the world. And on this foundation of love, he sent his son. Love is the foundation of all that we do. The foundation of a mum getting up or a father getting up in the middle of the night to tend to that child. The foundation of why we do that is one thing, love. I don't know any mother that gets out of bed to, to breastfeed a child and they just do it because oh, I, I wanted to get up anyway. Particularly four times in one night. That's just awesome. I don't know a mother. I have not come across a mother who just enjoys getting out of bed four times in one night just to feed a child. But I know many mothers who've done it. Why? Love. Love will get us to do some of the strangest, craziest things. See, when you're in love, nothing is too big or nothing is too small. There's a great story of a man by the name of Jacob. His story is found in the New, uh, Old Testament. And he just fell in love with a girl by the name of Rachel. And he went to Rachel's dad and said, I, I, I want your daughter. I, I want to marry your daughter. He says, well, you, you can't just have her. You've got to work for me for seven years. And it said, Jacob worked for seven years and the seven years were like seven days. Went so quick. But here's the thing. Rachel had an older, uglier sister and no one wanted Leah, the older sister. And so by the time Rachel was to be married, Laban, the father of Rachel and Leah, pulled a swifty and he didn't give Jacob Rachel. He gave Jacob Leah. 
And Jacob woke up in the morning and saw that he'd been deceived. And he went to Laban and said, what is this? I worked seven years for Rachel, not Leah. And he says, no, no, in our culture, the oldest one must get married first. And because she's not married, I gave you Leah. But if you want to work for me for another seven years, you can have Rachel as well. And he worked another seven years. And those seven years were like seven days. Such was the love that he had for this woman. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small where love is concerned. See, when people talk about not coming to church as a Christian, I have to ask the question, where, where's the love gone? This is not, a, this is not a, a matter of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. This is a matter of love. Because love does crazy things. I remember back in the day when I was dating my then girlfriend, and because I was so young, I didn't even have a license. I wasn't even old enough to drive a car. And uh, we lived quite a distance away. But to ride my bike to her house was like nothing, even though it was all uphill. Because <laughs> with every push of the pedal uphill, I knew I was one step closer to seeing the person that I loved. wasn't too hard. Can I just give a word of wisdom for all of our young ones out there? Particularly some of our young ladies. I, I think you may need to make it a little bit harder on the men. Don't, don't, don't be so easy. Because this I know. When a man or a boy or a man dates you, it doesn't get any better than that. He's not going to try any harder than when he's dating you. And if you say, look, I'd, I'd love to see you. Can you ride your bike up to see me? And he says, no. Know this. He's not going to ride his bike to see you when you're married. It doesn't get any better than when they are dating. What I would say for those that are married, whatever you did to get the girl, you need to keep doing to keep the girl. So there's something for everyone here this morning. But the foundation of all this is love. Where's the love? Paul says we're going to walk in love. If we're going to walk together, it has to be on the foundation of love. Because we're all going to do things that upset one another. We're going to do things that we don't like. That's a given. But where there is love as a foundation, we will find forgiveness. We'll be able to work through those things. But where there is no love, everything's in vain. The trouble is with the word love, is it's lost its meaning. We use the word love for everything. See, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about, oh man, I love ice cream. How many of you have said, I love ice cream? Well, if you're talking about loving ice cream the same way as you need to love your wife, there's going to be a problem. Because there has to be something deeper than that of a love of an ice cream when we're talking about relationships. And the, Paul, the love that Paul is talking about is not a natural love, it's a supernatural love. It's the Greek word agape, and it's a love that you can't manufacture in and of yourself. It's something that is supernatural. It's something that is God-given. It's the kind of love that can love your enemies. 
And we need to walk as Christians in that love. Because when we weren't Christians, we used to walk in a love that if you do the right thing by me, I do the right thing by you. That's not the love that Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a love that can be betrayed, a love that can be abandoned, a love that can be misunderstood, but we're going to love anyway because there's something greater on the inside of me and I'm going to love regardless. This is the kind of love Paul wants us to walk in. Because when you read the Word of God, there are many things that seem so hard to do and they are not just hard, they are impossible without this kind of love. How do you stay together so long? Because we love each other. I love that thought. Secondly, we've got to walk in the light. So you can't walk in the light and walk in the darkness at the same time. Light dispels darkness. And light can be summarized into two areas. The first one is character, living before God. Character is who we are when no one else is watching. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about character. I'm not talking about you being on your best behaviour in your Sunday bests and what you do when everyone else is watching. Walking in the light is what we do when no one else is watching. You know when we get on a plane, you have to surrender yourself and all of your luggage to those that are in charge. And so you go through a scanner, your bags get x-rayed to make sure that you're not hiding anything. And I, for one, when I'm getting on a plane, I'm glad that that happens. And because I'm not hiding anything, I say, here, just check my bags. X-ray me. Pat me down if you must. Please don't use the rubber gloves. That would, that's where it stops. But... But when you've got nothing to hide, it's not a problem. And when you've got nothing to hide, you're glad for that moment because you want everyone else to be examined. Because you don't want a bomb on your plane. You don't want someone destroying the ride for everyone. This is character. What are you when no one else is watching? What do you look at when no one else is watching? What conversations do you have when certain people aren't around? Who do you talk about and how do you talk about them when they're not around? Paul said, we've got to walk in the light. And when we talk like the world and act like the world, it brings darkness. And so character is all about living before God. But he also addresses conduct and that's about living before others. And we have a responsibility to others. The sole purpose of light is that it gives direction and prevents stumbling. We are called by God to be a light. And light by nature in its basic, most purest form stops us from stumbling and gives direction. And so our life should be an example of what to do and what not to do. Not because we're religious bigots, but because we have a message that can bring direction to people and it can stop them stumbling. When you walked in this morning, you would have been greeted by some ushers and they had a torch to give you direction and stop you stumbling. 
That's our role as Christians, to give direction and to stop people stumbling. But it's such a foreign concept. The moment you start speaking like this into people's lives, people say, I don't want to be controlled. I was talking to someone just yesterday about this. I said, it'd be just good if people just understood the wisdom that comes from deferring to somebody else's wisdom. Much of what I've done in my life to get where I am today is because somebody said something. I didn't necessarily get it, understand it, or like it, but I recognised they loved me. I recognised they were older than me. I recognised they were more experienced than I was. And so I just said yes because they said, do this. We call that control today. We call that being part of a cult today. But I want to say there's something that is wise in us just taking somebody else's advice. I feel like with so many young people today, they, 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 they want to they fight their point all the time. I feel that way with older people. They just want to fight their point all the time instead of just surrendering. I remember as a young man being groomed by Paul Bernison, he said, you know what? In light of your role, in light of what you're trying to achieve, I just think it's, it's probably the best that you don't drink alcohol at all. I didn't necessarily get that like that. I could have argued with him with his scripture, but I just took his word. And I just did not drink again. And it's not until more recent times that I've been able to have an occasional beer at the right place with the right people. But for 15 to 18 years, I didn't, just didn't drink because I, I just took somebody's advice. And I think that served me well. And so how willing are we to lay down our lives in order to bring direction and stop people from stumbling. This essentially is the Christian message. So Paul says you've got to walk in love, you've got to walk in the light, and thirdly, you've got to walk in wisdom. In verse 14 it says, wake up. In other words, Paul was recognizing that as Christians, we tend to fall asleep and we tend to drift. All of us drift and we don't drift toward God. We don't drift toward doing godly things. We always drift away. I remember as a young man going to the beach with dad and my brothers and we had this rubber dinghy. And it's amazing, kids always find other uses of certain apparatus than what it was built for. And so, you know, a dinghy comes with oars and, and it's meant to be sat in and you row it as a boat. That, that was the purpose of the dinghy. That, that's just, you know, that's just, there's no challenge in that. And so me and my brothers, we kind of got rid of the oars and, and we just turned it upside down and used it as a trampoline to jump in and out of the water. Sounds like fun, yeah? Who's going to try that now when you get home? There we go. All right. Well, maybe it's summer at least. And we were doing this for quite some time. Having a ball. Having fun. But here's the thing we were not aware of. We were drifting. And we were drifting. And we were drifting. And we weren't drifting closer to where our dad was our father, we were drifting further 
and further and further away. And without these reminders, we'll always drift. Such is the power, not just of church attendance, but having discipleship, being involved in a connect group where people can speak to you. You know, it's great to have a gathering like this, but you need some people in your world that can say, hang on, you know what? This is for you. This word is specifically for you. To stop that drift in our lives, we need to walk in wisdom. Some of the marks of wisdom, Paul says in verse 16, that we are to make the most of the time in which we live. Paul marks two main things about wisdom. One is that we make the most of our time. And that's why I felt coupling this series to do another series called Don't Waste Your Life. Tonight we're up to part two of Don't Waste Your Life. Most people don't set out to waste their life, but over time we drift and we look back and think, gee, I've wasted my life. Wisdom is that we would not waste our life. That we'd make the most of every opportunity because we don't know if we're going to have any more. And so we have an opportunity today. We have people in our world that don't know Christ. And we have an opportunity today to be a bringer and to phone them and say, hey, look, why don't you come to church tonight? We're not going to get this opportunity back. The opportunity that's afforded to us this week will not ever come back again. And we're going to make the most of the opportunities that we have. This is a mark of wisdom. And the other one is discerning the will of God. Now, what you need to understand about the will of God is that there is the known will of God and the unknown will of God. And what I find is that most people want to know the unknown will of God. I want to know the will of God for my life. In other words, I, I want to know exactly who it is that God wants me to marry. And all these wonderful things. But that's never the starting place. The starting place when it comes to the will of God is always start with what you know not what you don't know. And the known will of God is found in His Word. And so if you want to find the unknown will of God for your life, who you should marry, what you should do for a living, etc., etc., where you should live, all those things, then know this. This is what comes first. Do the known will of God. The known will of God is really clear because it's found in His Word. He says, may there not be a hint of sexual immorality amongst you. You can't just do whatever you want to do, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, text whoever you want at any time of the night, and then say, can you tell me the unknown will of God for my life? Let's just let's get rid of some of that other stuff first. Because all these other things we are doing blur the unknown will of God for our life. I mentioned about Fiona Mitchell the other day and her prophetic gift on her life. And, and I know the pressure she feels because everyone wants a word from Fiona now. And I've given her the, the, uh, the right to say, point them back to the Bible. Let's not play religious games. There is a genuine prophetic gift on Fiona's life that is becoming clearer and clearer. And it's minus the weird stuff. But don't go to Fiona for a word when we're violating some of the things that are just in the Bible. I mean, just the portion of Scripture that I've read today, there's, there's much in that that we can put into practice straight away. 
It's kind of like, you know, um, the guys who want to get into shape and, and, and they, you know, I just want about this exercise. I'm saying, you know what, dude, don't worry about any, just, just do something. Go to the gym and do something. Don't worry about what particular, any exercise, for you, any exercise right now will be good. Don't, you, know, you don't need specific exercise, you just need an exercise. Do something. Seriously, people are like, oh, I'm just going to go in the gym, just wondering what would be good for my triceps and, and, and I... Because most guys just want to work their chest and arms anyway. And so we've got to walk with wisdom. You want to know the will of God for your life? We'll start with this. Love your neighbor. Forgive your brother. I, I don't get unforgiveness. I don't get it. I get that it's hard. I get that. But I don't get that someone can live in unforgiveness if we understand the word of God. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't get that because I love Jesus and I, I, get, I, I, I understand what he did for me, but I'm just not willing to forgive. Know this, that there's nothing that somebody has done to me. This is the bottom line for me. There is nothing that someone has done to me that I did not first do to Jesus. And yet he forgives me. So by response, I'm just going to forgive. If we're not prepared to do that, then don't go to Fiona or anyone else for the unknown areas of your life. Like, who should I marry? And that is a very good question. But let's just live with forgiveness. You don't want to marry someone who has unforgiveness. You don't want to marry someone. I mean, this, this would be my wisdom to a young couple, particularly a, a, a young girl. If you like a man, I would ask yourself this. Has he got a job? You know, because the Bible says. I'm not being picky. The Bible says, stop stealing, work with your hands, get a job. I would say, does he initiate God conversations? Because this is what girls tend to do. They're so enamored, they let their feelings get in the way, and they have these conversations. And they say, oh, we had this great conversation about God. I said, well, hang on, was it we or you? Because half the time the guys say, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Cool. Anyway, let's go to the football. Girls, you don't want to marry that guy. You don't want to marry that guy. You want to marry the guy that can have God conversation. I was reading. God challenged me the other day. Flip it. Benno gave me a serve the other day, and I'm a better man for it. See, see, you don't want marriage advice after you get married. You want it before. I, I, I'm forever tying in to the disciplining of our kids that day when they'll get married. I talked to Jordan, and I talked to Mitch. Not so much Bailey. She's a little bit younger, but certainly Mitch and Geordie, I talk about, you're going, to you're going to marry a girl one day, Mitch, and you're going to marry a guy one day, Geordie, and, and I don't want you putting pressure in your marriage by me not dealing with that before you get married. I, I talk about marriage long before, they're not even, there's not anyone that they're actually interested at the moment, but I, want to, I don't want to wait till they are. That's wisdom. And so young girls, 
If that guy is not leading you in God conversations, give him the flick. Because otherwise you will be the spiritual head of your home. If he hasn't got a job, you'll be the breadwinner of your home. You'll be the one who's doing all the cooking and cleaning. And you'll be exhausted. There are a lot of exhausted women in their 30s and 40s today because they didn't get that right. Anyway... Ladies, that's your warning. Men, that's your challenge. Number four, walk in the Spirit. Paul says to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled conjures up a couple of thoughts. One is to be under the control of something. Have you ever seen, or maybe this is true for you, you've experienced this firsthand, when you are filled with alcohol... You come under its control and you do what you wouldn't otherwise normally do. To be filled with alcohol is to come under the control of the alcohol. Yeah? Look at you all quiet now. Don't, don't, don't give anything away. As if God doesn't know. You're like, I just, I just, just no eye contact. Just. Oh, let me look up a scripture. Seriously, I... I've seen it. I've seen it. And it's amazing. Drunk people. It's amazing how generous they get. It's my shout. <laughs> Maybe if you got filled with the Spirit, it might get a little bit more generous. Just a thought. It's amazing how loving they get. Dan, I love you, man. <laughs> if we'd allow ourselves to get filled with the Spirit, maybe we'd become more generous. And more loving. And some guys just get more violent and they just want to pick a fight. We need Christians that can, are just ready to stand up Good. and pick a fight with some of the laws that are trying to be passed. We, we just cannot lay down and be silent. We've got to, we've got to fight at the right times. Good. I see all of that when people are filled with alcohol. They come under the control of alcohol. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are to come under the control of the Spirit. I love those moments where you have these out-of-body experiences. You think, wow. When you're under the control of the Spirit, and, and normally you'd be mad as heck, but you find this peace. and you think, Wow, the Holy Spirit is, is, is leading me. I, I should be mad. I'm just not. I don't know what that is. It's, it's the influence of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is to be filled means it's a moment or an event that can be repeated even the most drunk of you know this you sober up is it possible to be drunk one day sober up and then get drunk again so you get filled with alcohol you sober up then you get filled with alcohol it's to be continually filled that's what it is with the Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit is not to keep talking about that one day in your life when you got filled with the Holy Spirit and you spoke in tongues oh it was amazing that's not the purpose we all sober up. And we need to continue to be filled with His Spirit. We watch television. We listen to conversations. We do this. We do that. We go to the workplace. We go to university. We hear all sorts of things. And we sober up. And we need to go back to the Word of God and get filled up again. 
and the result of a spirit-filled life is found in Ephesians chapter 5, that we'd be joyful to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Joyful people sing. You can't be joyful and not sing. You can't be miserable and sing. Seriously, the evidence of you being filled with the Holy Spirit is joy. Paul and Silas were in the jail, hadn't been beaten, battered and bruised. And what were they doing? They weren't whinging, they were singing. They had nothing in the natural to sing about, but they had everything to sing about because they were filled with the Spirit. The singing is evidence. How, how do you know you're filled with the Spirit? It wasn't tongues, it was singing. It was joy in the midst of a situation where there was no joy to be found. You know, one of the evidence of my infilling of the Holy Spirit is 19 years in the same church. And I love it. That's got to count for something. Too many pastors are burning out in the ministry, giving up, giving in. That could absolutely be me. But I find this one on the inside is far greater than anything that takes place on the outside and it's worth getting joyful about and it's worth singing about. Here I am to worship. Seriously, I could come to church just and sing. That could, that could fill me, just singing. Maybe I should sing my next message. That'd be a miracle. One, me singing, two, you listening. That'd be a miracle. Come on, musicians, come up here. We're going to sing. The other evidence of being filled with the Spirit is that you'd be grateful. It says, give God thanks. Seriously, when's the last time you, you said, thank you, God? I mean, that should be a daily occurrence. And I'll tell you why we don't thank Him enough, because we don't think enough. To think is to thank. We don't stop and say, oh, I've got nothing to thank God for. Yes, you have. Are you breathing? Yeah, we're not breathing in this room. Well, there's air. So thank God for the air that you breathe. There's a starting place. Are you alive? Thank God I'm alive. Are you in Australia? Man, there's, there's worse places to be than Australia. Dear old Adelaide, I mean, there's just worse places. Thank you, Lord. Got family and friends. All these things are a starting place. But the sign of a mature person who is grateful, they'll start thanking God for the people in their world that has made their life difficult because that's, that's grown me. So gratitude is an evidence. We want to argue about speaking in tongues. I believe, you know, there is the opportunity for every person to speak in tongues. I do, I do, I do. But seriously, give me the joyful, grateful people. I know some tongue speakers are just plain miserable. You can't even speak in tongues with any joy. I mean, like, come on. And the last evidence Paul gives is that of being faithful. Talk about being submitted. Submit to one another. You can't just be a law unto yourself. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is that you'll submit to leadership. 
that you'll submit to somebody else's advice. You can't just do whatever you want to do. See, these are, these are tangible evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. I mentioned before, what got me here is just submitting to other people who are more clever than me, wiser, older. So how grateful are you? How joyful are you? How faithful are you? If you have to know everything about everything before you do anything, you won't do anything. Someone should tweak that. I don't even know what I said. It sounded good though. If you need to know everything about everything before you do anything, then you won't do anything. Christianity and the walk of maturity is like, I don't get it, I don't like it. I just, oh, wow, oh, that's what he meant. You've got to cross over before you see it. Some of you might say, I, I, I need to know everything there is to know about God before I'll give my life over to Him. Well, keep waiting. That's what makes Him God. He knows more than you. He's smarter than you. He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. I remember going to dad as a young boy and asking for you know, questions. He said, even if I answer that question, you wouldn't even understand my answer. You're just going to have to trust me. Like, what kind of answer is that? I didn't even know. I didn't have the brain to comprehend the answer to my question. Is this making any sense to anybody out there this morning? Paul saying, you know what? We've got to walk in love. We've got to walk in light. We've got to walk in wisdom. And we've got to walk in the Spirit. People are watching us. People need help. This is not a legalistic response. This is a correct response to who we are in Christ. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.